Welcome to the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Hello. <laughs> it's me. He just takes me by surprise. Is that better or worse <laughs> than singing? Know. I, I think better. I don't know. Okay. Um, welcome to the Wednesday episode of News and Reviews. News and Reviews. Uh, a little bit of a bumper week this week, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because we didn't do one last week because of illness. Mm. Mainly to you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. My throat was awful. Terrible. I've gone through um, so many strepsils. So there's a couple of things that we need to cover from um, what we would have talked about last week, and a couple of um, well, a and few, a few films, films, films that we've yeah. seen within sort of the last two weeks. So let's just get straight into yeah, it. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's go straight with news. And um, the first biggest bit of news that we haven't actually discussed yet is the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer has finally been released. Mm. Um, it was released last week. Um, what did you think? Uh, you know what I. I think I think good things about this film. I think that it has the potential to be very good. Mm. Um the tone of it being, you know, we've talked before about it being a John Hughes tone to it yeah. in the sense of it being more of a high school Spider-Man than we've seen previously. You know, we see Spider-Man in high school in the Sam Raimi version, but he's 34 years he's old. A so old man what's, at high school. what's going on there? Whereas at least this time we've got a kid playing him. Uh, Tom Holland we liked in yeah. uh, Civil War so that all points towards good things. The tone of the trailer is interesting because you've got this half sort of MGMT kidsy vibe going on mm-hmm. and then you've got this weird dark sort of vulture thing going on which looks quite interesting. Yeah, I like I like the fact they've updated the vulture costume because Oh, he I was, was never going to be the well, green guy with feathers. <laughs> well, that's what I was and a wondering. white little ruff of feathers there. <laughs> I was wondering what they were going to do with it, because I was like, that ca- that costume cannot translate from the comics and look... No, like, less so, than any other costume ever. So the fact they've gone, okay, we're going to make it this kind of mechanised suit, and what it looks like, from what I could tell in the trailers, it looks like, because this is New York set... Mm. Um, the Chitauri invasion that we had in Avengers may play into how the technology has advanced for Yeah, because that was some something that I noticed, was that clearly, because this is now in conjunction with Marvel rather than as opposed to a Marvel film, that stuff's now going to play into this because there's some technology on display that is pretty baffling. It's, it's interesting. I, I'm interested to see whether that's the route they go down, whether... Uh, Michael Keaton's portrayal of this vulture is actually a tech guy who is able to reappropriate these things. Um, I also thought that some of the comedy in there is spot on for me. Mm. I think that, you know, Tom Holland looks like he can really kind of play off this. But also, what's really nice is, from what I've heard, is Tom Holland does a lot of his own, like the stunts that you can do, mm. he's done a lot of it because he was a gymnast as well before. Yeah. Um, so my big gripe with Tom Holland, he's still too handsome to play Peter Parker. <laughs> we need an ugly guy to play. Peter you wanted Parker. DJ Qualls. I wanted me to play Peter Parker. No, <laughs> DJ Qualls is in his mid forties now, and yet still looks younger than Tom Holland. <laughs> um, but no, the trailer got me really excited. I'm, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I really want to see this trailer because I'm really excited to see the tone of it and mm. um, what they're doing with it, especially because. It's now back in the hands of Marvel. I want to see how they play with this property. And everything in this trailer got me really pumped. And I don't want to get overly excited because I don't want that crashing disappointment if it doesn't work. But at the same time, I'm really excited. And there's a couple of really nice things. The bit where he's holding a ship together with his webbing, it reminds me a lot of the Spider-Man 2 train bit. Yes. Um, Yeah. But it's a really nice kind of image. And 
the end end sting where you've got him and him swinging through the Iron Man flying next to him. Mm. Looks pretty cool. And I'm excited to see what the relationship between Tony and Peter Parker is. Yeah, whether it's a mentor-mentee relationship. And some of the dialogue between them is quite interesting already. Mm. The snippets we get, and I think... I think that's going to be sort of the foundation of the film, where you see him sort of going, look, you don't have to overexert yourself. Don't try and go after these people because we can do that for you. And him kind of proving that maybe he's not just everyone's favourite kid. Yeah. Well, I read a um, really interesting article about this, about what Tony's role is in this. And they put across the idea that maybe it's a case that Tony needed Spider-Man during Civil War. Because he needed yeah. somebody to fight Captain America. But now, after that's done, he's realising, actually, this is just a kid. Yeah. This is a kid I've pulled from um, New York and made an Avenger for a day. Yeah. And then sent back home. Oh, a and lifetime he... of that is not going to be good for this kid. And you know... So I need to make sure that he's not putting himself... Pushing him, into... Trying to push him away a little bit. And that then leads to this angst of Peter Parker being like, well, actually, you made me an Avenger. I fought for you. And now you're telling me that I can't do what I need to do. Now I have to go back to school and just be a kid. Yeah. Um, and that's a really interesting dynamic. And also they point out that if Tony Stark fills the position that, say, um, Uncle Ben does in Sam Raimi films or uh, Richard Parker does in the Amazing Spider-Man films as a father figure, this is the first father figure that's actually alive. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic changes things as well. Yeah. Um, I got really excited by it. I thought it looks great. Um, I've got a lot of confidence in it. Uh, John Watts, who's directing and I think co-writing the screenplay, uh, co-written the screenplay, yeah. uh, he's a very competent director. He's So he's, again, one of these ones who's only ever done a couple of things. So his previous two have been Clown and Cop Car. Cop Car's a fantastic film. Really, really good. And two central performances by kids. He knows how to write kids. He knows how to write that dialogue. So I'm hoping that translates well into this. And... Cop Car's a really nice little thriller. It's you know it's a sort of weird little premise that you've got there. Yeah, there's not a huge amount you can do with it, but it's really good fun. That's kind of what I want from a Spider-Man film. I want it to be good fun, and I want it to be entertaining enough that I'm there. Like I'll come back for a second one. Maybe I will. Yeah. Maybe this is the time that this changes. You know whether they keep him as a director for the second one is yet to be seen. I guess we you know they've announced there will be a second one in 2019. I think. And, you know, depending on the success of this, you would hope that he might stay on and do it, because I think the trailer looks, you know, how many times we've been deceived by trailers. Yeah. But so far, so good. Yeah, and I am excited for it. Um, we are kind of rattling through news today, because yeah, there's a lot to review. It, we're keeping it tight so but we can That's review. basically really all needs to be said on that, um, as far as we're concerned. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Let us know what you do think of that. Yeah, um, another trailer dropped... Um, only a couple of days ago, which was the Dunkirk trailer. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the, the Christopher Nolan um, war-based thriller mm. um, all about the um, Battle of Dunkirk, really, and the how thousands of soldiers were saved from the beaches of Dunkirk by regular citizens, yeah. really. Um, what did you find... What did you think of that trailer, then? Because this is a film I'm really excited yeah, for as a fan of war films. I mean, this is the thing, you know, with Nolan, we, we've discussed this before and said, you know, you're always guaranteed a good film with Nolan. It's just whether it's mm. a good Nolan or a good an okay Nolan, yeah. which is still much better than most other people can manage. 
Um, I think the grand scale of it suits him. I think he's, you know, he's a filmmaker who's embraced the sort of Hollywood blockbuster and not only embraced it, but actually game changed with it. You know, Inception was unlike anything you'd seen at that point. And this could well be the war drama that is unlike any other war drama. It looks stunning Mm. in terms of the scale of it and in terms of what you're able to see in it. Everyone in it's good. We know this. Well, Harry Styles. Harry Styles is there. A, a really odd choice, but I, you know, I've got to have confidence that he knows what he's doing with yeah. this with this choice. Because fucking hell, it's a brave, it's a brave <laughs> move by Nolan. Uh, but no, I, I, I like the look of it. I'm not a huge war film guy, but it, you know, I like the fact I'll I got see to see, it, I got to see more of it because obviously so far we'd only had a couple of clips. It was nice to see more, see what kind of thing they're looking at doing. Yeah. And it's got, once again, it's got an incredible cast that I just would be happy to watch. Yeah. Um, there's not really all m- that much to say on it, apart you from... You get so little it, of the actual information Nolan. in the film. But... Although what I do like is they released a poster for it, mm. which is a soldier with his back to the camera staring out across the sea. And what somebody's noted is that every single Nolan film... Has an yeah. has a image like that. They had the um, Joker one, yeah. where he's facing and looking into Gotham. There's the Instellar one, which is the astronaut facing out, and it's like no one just really doesn't like putting the faces on the poster. He should be the biggest star. That's why. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks it looks good. We'll go to see it, of course, and I, I, you know, I imagine it'll do very well for itself. Final bit of news is um, just a bit of information coming out of DC, really. So there was talk of Harley Quinn having her own solo movie Yeah. Um, after Suicide Squad. They've now said that this is going to be called, um, I think it's Gotham City Sirens or something like that. Mm. And what it is, is it's a all-female-led team of Now, I'd heard rumours of villains. this. Yeah, okay. Um, so they, from what I understand, it's Harley Quinn, Catwoman and Poison Ivy. Right. And it's a film around them. Are you excited for this property? No, of course not. It's DC and they've done terrible things so far. Look, I've got so little interest in their universe now, but honestly, they could announce that in the next film they're just going to take a dump on the screen for an hour and a half. And I'd be like, well, that sounds like the direction you were taking with it until this point. So that's the natural (laughs) progression. I I honestly couldn't care less. I mean, look, she sold a lot of t-shirts, I imagine. She sold a lot of posters. A lot of Halloween costumes. A lot of Halloween costumes, too. The streets of Nottingham were paved with dickheads. <laughs> the... And then Halloween came around, and yeah. even more of them came out. <laughs> and then they wore fucking Daddy's Little Monster t-shirt. Look, I don't have any interest in this universe anymore. And this is the thing, right? I want to like films. I want to be impressed by them. So far, I've seen absolutely nothing that justifies them making these films. People will say, oh, Batman vs. Superman is half a good Batman film, half a terrible Superman film. What it is is an entirely bad Batman vs. Superman film. Suicide Squad was a horrible, bloated mess. If they're going to make additional films based on the most popular character from a terrible film, fine, go and do that. I don't want to see them. (laughs) And I know I will because I have to do this fucking podcast. (laughs) So yes, I'm excited for it in the sense that I'm looking forward to our trip out to the cinema. But no, I'm not excited for it because I have a feeling it's going to be absolute dog shit, mate. 
How do you feel about the uh, upcoming uh, sirens of matter, Gotham or whatever? Doesn't it's matter, does it? It really doesn't matter because I've said what my opinion is, and I think it's probably correct. Is that the news done? Okay, cool. Uh, well, we'll start with the film that I want to review because I've seen, uh, because you're currently incapacitated. Okay, so reviews this week. We've got four coming up for you, at least. I don't know. Yeah, four films. Four films, yeah. Yeah, so we've got Sully, Bleed for This, uh, United Kingdom, and what I'm going to start off with, uh, The Edge of Seventeen. So this uh, this came out a couple of weeks ago now, mm-hmm. and essentially, for me, is the film that I wanted Juno to be. It, it sort of does. Uh, it does a teenage drama better than that film did yeah. for me. So the story follows uh, follows a young girl, seventeen years old, who you'd hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, the title. Really <laughs> so, so this is the age of twenty seventeen, yeah, and it's set uh, now. That's it. Um, it's actually set in twenty fifteen, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it follows her life essentially. Uh, her dad dies fairly early on uh, into mm-hmm. the film and in a flashback sequence, essentially. So her dad dies when she's 13. So it's she's left with her mum, who is slightly unstable, and her very handsome older brother, who is basically the... He's the golden child of the family. She's yeah. the one who never really fit in except with her dad. Her dad appreciated what she was and was able to sort of manage her relationship with her mother, which was always fractured. And it's about her dealing with being 17 and the fact that she's the forgotten child in her view and getting on with life. And then finding out that her brother is now hooking up with her best friend Mm -hmm. who had previously said that there's nothing that anyone could like about your brother. He's like a gym rat, whatever. (laughs) And then she finds him in bed. And from there, the story then progresses. What I really love about this film is... First of all, the script is bang on. It any film that can any film that's particularly teenage orientated that can take me back to sort of horrifying visions of my time at college <laughs> and situations I've been in and created for myself. That's a successful film. Yeah, that that is the that is the mark of whether a film is getting it right or not. And Edge of Seventeen really gets it right. I was just sitting there going, "Oh God, I was." Fucking, oh, <laughs> college was the worst. But that's the thing for me. If if you can do that, then you've done it. And it's something that Juno never quite managed to do for me. And as much as I admired the fact that Juno had that sort of... There was dialogue between the young people in that film. People were saying, oh, well, you know, teenagers don't speak like that. They, they do. do. They do. And this film is another one where they've managed to do that. They've gone, let's take how teenagers talk. And they've they've got it bang on. Uh, yeah. It's it's really really perfect. Uh, and the name really escapes me at the moment. I'm going to have to find out. Um, but uh, yeah. So other than that, Woody Harrelson features as uh, basically a sort of sort of mentoring figure, she, a history teacher. Yeah. Right. And he crops up a few times in the film, and his his performance is perfect. Mm-hmm. So sardonic and sort of. I mean. It, Basically, I'm just going to say go and see the film just for him because he is phenomenal in it. He gets all the best lines, clearly, and it, I mean, it really fucking shows. <laughs> uh, and he's just loving life. He really enjoys. He really enjoys being on screen and doing that role. 
other than that, Haley Steinfeld as as our central character, whose name temporarily escapes Nadine. Of course, it's Nadine. She, it's one of the performances of the year. Mm. It, it's such a tricky thing, I think, to perform that role, but she does it so well because there are there are peaks and troughs in terms of her life at that point. So you've got to capture the good stuff, you've got to capture the bad stuff, and the decision making processes that a teenager goes through, which are obviously incorrect, and yeah. no one tells you at the time. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing about being a teenager, though. Uh, but you have to make your own mistakes at that point, and yeah, and it's how you learn from them. And is that it, what it, it is the perfect depiction of showing a teenager making these mistakes and actually realizing that it's okay to make mistakes and that life doesn't end because your best friend's hooked up with your brother and life doesn't end because you've done something stupid or messaged something stupid. It's a phenomenal film. It genuinely has entered the discussion for best film of the year for me because every single thing about it works. Mm. There's not a single thing in it. I think I can't really pinpoint anything where I'm like, well, that was shit. Um, Kelly Freeman Craig, who wrote and directed it, it's genuinely one of the best written films I've seen this year in terms of encapsulating the character and the life that they live and the culture they exist within. It's got it bang on and should be nominated for a best screenplay. I don't know if it will be. The thing is Diablo Cody would, I think won for, um, for Juno Mm -hmm. for that same thing. She had the thing of being an ex stripper, so I don't know. If, I don't know if Hollywood's ready for a non ex stripper to uh, to write the best well, uh, best screenplay. I've only heard good things about it, and from the central performance, I've only heard good things. Yeah, um, you know, it's one that I mean to go and see, whether I get a chance to or not. Is it, I mean, it's limited screenings now, particularly with Rogue One out. If you find a screening that you can get to, again, I'd recommend it to everyone. It's it's a film for anyone. Because everyone's been a teenager. Everyone's you... been through that period of time. And, oh my God, you're going to absolutely hate yourself afterwards because you'll come out of it. <laughs> oh my God, college was the worst. Like, that, that comment specifically yeah, directed you. at me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not directing that at anyone else. It's me and you, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Edge of 70. The Edge of 70 I did sleep out. with your handsome brother at college. That's the thing. Which one's handsome? That's not you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Sorry, Paul. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, but Edge of Seventeen, uh, get get down to see it if you can. If you find a screening, I would really recommend it. It's the best film to come out in the last month. The last oh, fuck it, it's one of the best films of the year. Fantastic, fantastic. You saw Sully. Um, I did see Sully. Tell me about Sully. Um, I went and watched it. Uh, ooh, it would have been last week, some point. Yeah, it's the story of the plane that crashed into the Hudson River. I believe was it started last year or this year? No, was it a few years ago? 2009. Time has all gone wrong in my head. Yeah, the the thing happened ages ago. The film happened this year. <laughs> oh, that's what you're thinking. Yeah, oh, beginning of this year. No, end of um, this year. The film came out. Yeah, I re- I remember clearly the the thing happening. Yeah. I remember I remember um seeing the news reports of and a seeing that pilot, image of the plane on the fucking Hudson the pilot River. Has crashed a plane into the Hudson River. And everyone survives. Great branding for us, by the way. The Hudson's really benefited. From that. <laughs> we're like we're the safest river to land on. And what this story, what this film does, it tells the story of yes, that happens, but it's a story of the aftermath. Because I can never, I never remember hearing about the aftermath. I never remember hearing what happened afterwards because I never thought there was a story afterwards. Mm. And what this is is Clint Eastwood directed this film um, of a story of what happens 
to the pilot afterwards because yes, you saved everyone, but you've crashed a plane. Yeah. Like, and they're not cheap. No. But also, um, you know, did you put the passengers in more danger than they needed to be? Mm. What this one does really well is um, really makes you question mm. Sully as a pilot because. You do start the film with going, yeah, he saved everybody. What's the problem? Mm. Every single person on that plane got out alive and they are still alive today. Yeah. As far as I know. <laughs> well, I thought it was only in January, so I was hoping they're still alive. Uh, but, but, I don't really want to use that line. Um, you know, he saved these people and you go, actually, that's a great thing for you to have done. But as the film goes on, you do start questioning, was his decisions correct? Yeah. When all the evidence starts stacking up against him, you start asking the question of, did he put these people in more danger than they needed to be, or could he have got back to that airport? Mm. Because there's the question of, you can get back to the airport that you came from, or a secondary airport they give you, or you took the decision to put it down in the Hudson. Mm. And it almost seems like he becomes pig-headed of, I'm going to put this down in the Hudson because I can, yeah. and I know I can. And he asks that really question. And I think it's the perfect depiction of how to build tension in a movie. Right. Um, I think, because I coming out of it, I said, I love watching Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is my favourite actor of all time. Yeah. I just really enjoy watching him on screen. Um, and Aaron Eckhart, those performances, you get the performance that you expect. Um, mm. I can't remember who plays Tom Hanks' wife. Um, the same one, one who played the mother in Nocturnal Animals is... Laura Linney. Laura Linney. Those performances are great, um, but it's kind of what you expect from those people. They're not... You won't put them up... Like, I reckon one of them will get nominated, but I don't think they deserve to get some of the other performances I've seen sure. this year. But they're, but they're solid. solid enough. They're solid performances. And everyone in this is solid. There's no um, performance where you go, oh, this is amazing. And um, ultimately, when you're telling this story, that's what it rests on. Because it's about the people. It's about humans. Yes, yeah, you've got to have the people capable of doing that. But what I will say is, this film is, if you were a film student and you need to know how to organise a plot to make sure that tension lasts throughout an entire film, this is your perfect example well, because the way it is edited, when you only have two hundred and eight, is it or two? Yeah, two hundred and eight seconds of action yeah. essentially. To make an hour and a half film, you've got to make sure you've you've organised that in the correct way and taken snippets where you need. And to. the way they do it is they show you it from um, different perspectives, different perspectives right? and you don't really see the full perspective till right at the end mm. and the pilot's perspective, um, and you learn along with kind of this judging panel, this judiciary panel about what happens but it is great at the story we all know what happened really um, yeah when you know the ending we all know what happened it's perfect at basically making you a question the decisions made but b keeping that tension going i don't think it's a film that i'll go back and watch right um it's not one that i will stand out for me but it's a good film mm. and i think um the playing graphics especially do not hold up now they will not hold up in 10 years time um, but Some that's not off talking going on. <laughs> but that's not what this film's about. This sure. film is about the story of of Sully, really. Yeah. Um, hence his name being on the title. Um, but it, no, it's a great example. First of... name Chesley. I mean, it's <laughs> no wonder he was referred to as Sully by everybody. Uh, but it's a great example of how to structure a film to make it appealing and engrossing. Because yeah. if you don't structure that film right, it doesn't. You're work. bored by the end. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought it really worked. I, I know the person I went to watch it with didn't find it as as engaging. As engaging. But... Well, the interesting thing is, I've heard reviews from not only yourself but uh, a couple of my family members have gone to see it, and we're talking like age range up to like fifty six, right? Yeah. And both of them have said, "Yeah, 
it's it's engaging enough and it tells you a story that you don't know even though you already know the story behind the story there <laughs> it's great i'd definitely put it i'd definitely recommend watching it because i think it is a very interesting study of what happened afterwards yeah i just don't think it's something that you'll keep going back to and you'll be raving about will it lose anything by being on a small screen so if you kept no, it on not, tv rather than i don't think so no because cinema, it's not about the um it's not about the cinematic nature no it's it. not about the the having these huge screens to show off the, the intricacies of the action it. it's yes yeah, the story that's interesting here okay. um so no i don't think you would lose anything so i'd recommend you know if you get to the cinema, still in cinemas now yeah. if you get a chance to see it do but if, if you don't not, manage then it watch will it when be it comes on DVD, out. it'll be on TV at some point. And absolutely give it a watch, because it is a very interesting story, cool. um, and they do very well at making you question it. Okay. Uh, well, let's stick with true life stories. Uh, two biopics that have come out in the last couple of weeks. Yes. So, firstly, we'll do Bleed for This, which is the new boxing biopic. Yeah, Woo! we haven't had enough of those. Um, so... Not since Creed. Not since Creed. I, I know, because that's our bio. <laughs> you sometimes. I, you I, say I, stuff and I'm going along with it. I'm like, yeah. I'm like no, actually. I, I said it just to see if you agreed. Well, yeah. Just to see if you're listening. I only agree because I, I presume that you know what you're talking about. And then I'm like, ah, oh, you might be trying to Never catch me presume. out. Never presume. Never presume. Anyhow. Okay, so. Uh, bleed for this. Follows the story of Vinnie Pazienza, who was a boxer, still is alive, so let's not say was. Um, boxer in the late 80s, early 90s, um, becomes world champion. He gets a belt. Yep. And in fact, he's, I think he's a two-time world champion by the time this happens. He's in a devastating car crash, right? Okay. Now, before this happens, what you see is him in a lower weight division... And he's there like, I need to progress, I need to do something else. Yeah. I need to I need to become a better boxer. And he's taken under the uh taken under the I was just reminded of the Bugs and Malone song, If You Wanna Be a Boxer. boxer yeah. It's a great musical. Anyway. Uh he's taken under the mentorship of Kevin Rooney, who is who trained Mike Tyson. Okay. Mm-hmm. Played by Aaron Atkart in this film, who's now opposite Vinnie Pazienza being played by Miles Teller. In a performance that features the most wispy moustache you will see this year in cinema. <laughs> Talk about moustaches. Sully has some amazing... two strong moustaches. Um, My moustache jealousy was on, on, on high alert. <laughs> so, um, so you get... Uh, Kevin Rooney is this sort of alcoholic coach who's seen better days and is yeah. now looking for a shot of redemption, essentially, to prove that he's still capable of, of being a good trainer. So you've got the two stories going on concurrently. You've got him saying, Vinny, you can move up a weight division. And he pushes him up a weight division. He wins the belt and then gets in the car crash, right? Yeah. So it then becomes a story of going, okay, so Vinny Pazienza feels like his life is now meaningless because he can't do anything because all he does is box. And he's told by the doctors, look, I don't even know if you're going to be able to walk again. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, that's no good. That's not what I'm here for. I want to box again, and he, that's that's his end game. And it's an incredible story. It, you know, I think the the problem is whenever you're tied down to real life events, you're limited. The story is told well enough. Yeah. The performance are uh, the performances are good enough. I, I actually think that the the true great performance within the film is Kieran Hines as his father, which is. It, 
a much more nuanced and sort of complex performance, I think, than either of Miles Teller or Aaron Eckhart. I think Aaron Eckhart is very, very good. Miles Teller's good enough, but again, doesn't. I feel like Whiplash is a better example of him playing a character motivated by something. Yeah. Because that, I mean, Whiplash is one of those performances where he's outshone, <laughs> he's outshone by J.K. Simmons, but he plays off J.K. Simmons so well, and J.K. Simmons is actually the driving force behind everything. Yeah. Gets a supporting actor, uh, Oscar, but actually is sort of the main character of that thing, because you think, without him, Miles Teller doesn't do any of that <laughs> stuff. Um, but here... Uh, Aaron Eckhart puts in a really good performance. Kieran Hines is the best in it, I think. Uh, you get to see some of his sort of conflicted views when he's thinking, okay, great that my son was a boxer, but I can't risk his life. I can't do yeah. this. I can't allow that. Um, but, you know, a really sort of inspiring tale because, you know, it is a true life story. And it's incredible that he managed to come back and win another title after a... Yeah, because didn't he win like another two or something? Well, all we see in the film is it ends with him, you know, um, you know. spoiler alert, it's a real life story, so I'm not spoiling anything here. He wins the title when he comes back from this, uh, from yeah. wearing this. Well, the, the story's more about the journey, isn't it? It's not about. Yeah, it's what, about him pushing himself to is, get yeah. to that point. So it's, it's well constructed, it's well enough written. There's a lot of boxing cliches in there, and of course, you're not really going to avoid that. What I will say is um, Martin Scorsese is an executive producer on this. Mm-hmm so heavily influenced by him it seems there's there's a lot of moments where you just find yourself going is that a reference to goodfellas is that a reference to and you you end up thinking is this film a reference to raging bull well, this is the problem that that's where the problem lies for me raging bull is the best boxing biopic this is not raging bull by some margin yeah and that's that's ultimately its downfall it's good enough it's a solid film it's not going to be anywhere near any sort of best picture nominations, I don't think, because it really isn't good enough. But it's if you're looking for a boxing biopic because you've you've been bored since January when Creed came out, <laughs> then yeah, sure, go and see it. It'll be on TV. It'll be on DVD soon. Buy it if you're interested in that sort of thing. But don't don't go out of your way. Yeah, and you finally saw a United Kingdom. And United as well. Kingdom, which I'll touch on briefly, uh, which is a sort of shame because it's a really really well constructed film. Um, it's following it basically it shows the history of the transition of Botswana mm-hmm. the modern day Botswana what was at the time in the 1940s referred to as Bechuana land so it follows the courtship of Sorexe Kama who was the sort of prince regent as it were of uh, Bechuana land who was studying in the UK and was called back to Bechuana land to transition into becoming its leader now was the time for him to take control and sort of yeah. your your tuition over there has been finished. You come back over here, take over, and everything's going to be fine. Uh, and the courtship of Ruth Williams, who was a British, I think a, a typist or a legal secretary or something like that. Mm. 1940s, interracial marriage, number one, very sort of taboo. Yeah. And particularly because tensions between the UK and South Africa were at uh, an all-time high there and they were doing everything they could to manage that relationship between that country and South, uh, the between the UK and South Africa and anything in a bordering country always reflected poorly on the UK if mm-hmm. if it was seen to cause trouble it's a really really uplifting story it's beautifully told uh, Amara Santi directed it and 
did you see Bell a couple of years ago? No. Really, really powerful film. Again, it's it's this idea of marrying uh, a personal sort of story, and in this case, a very personal love story between these two, and the greater political story going on. Really interesting on sort of both sides of it because you get to see a lot of the sort of back and forth between the Home Office and the sort of them going well, you really shouldn't be doing this because of this, this, yeah, and this. Yeah. And we're going to exile you from your own country because at least then you're separated from your wife. And then she's going to come back over to the UK and then it'll be free for us to take over Bechuana land essentially, and make sure that, that runs the way we want it to work rather than you having freedom and independence because that would be terrible for the British <laughs> Empire. Uh, it really does illustrate how prickish the British Empire were. Um, weirdly, it's got a really interesting performance by Tom Felton, of uh, yeah. Harry Potter fame as sort of the British representative in Bechuana land. And he's, <clears throat> I mean, he's clearly found a niche market where he's playing slimy, horrible characters <laughs> because you hate him. You really <laughs> hate him in this. Um, the performances by Rosamund Pike and David Oyelowo are phenomenal. I think you'll see David Oyelowo probably getting a nomination for this. Mm-hmm. And, to be honest, it's actually for Selma. This is the thing. Yeah. It's that thing of saying, if the performer's not even nominated for one of one of the best performances of that year, then chances are in a couple of years' time when he puts his next one out, there it comes. And I, if he gets a nomination for it, it's going to be shared between this and Selma because his performance in Selma is just incredible. incredible. Uh, but again, Sorette Karma, such an interesting true-life story that not a lot of people know about. And I came away just going... Really uplifting film, really personal love story that I really enjoyed. And actually, I'm now really interested in finding out more about, about the political history, history of that yeah. part of the world, particularly at that time. Um, so, really recommend it. Well, It'll no, be out of cinemas now, I have a feeling. Maybe occasional viewings, but... Well, I know Barrett watched the film as well and came out with a similar thing of, this is actually something I wasn't aware of, that is something I want to now look up. And, you know, if a film can do that and give you interest in a period of time that you don't really know about then that's obviously credit to that film yeah the criticism of it would be maybe that they're trying to tell a bit too much and some of the dialogue is a little sort of on the nose yeah as it were you know there's there's no going around a certain thing it's always going oh well do you know what segregation is i know that do you know what apartheid means and <laughs> Yeah, well, the character says no, and then they go, well, let's explain the part. And you, we know, we're okay with this. Um, that would be my criticism of the film. But overall, any film that's able to make me think I'd like to learn more about that, mm-hmm. that works. That's that's a good film for me. So, yeah, uh, a successful week. Yeah, we've, we've seen a lot. Um, I was going to bring up something quickly. Yeah. Um, now, I feel that we've probably got time to do this because next Wednesday there isn't a um, midweek podcast between Christmas and New Year. No. Because, um, unfortunately, we've got families to see and presents to receive. Mm. Not give, just receive. Just receive, just receive, yeah. Um, so, just to make you aware, that is... That's the way my Amazon wish list works. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there isn't an episode there, so that gives me a nice bit of time to yeah. just quickly talk about some of it. Basically, we don't talk about games all too often, but when we yeah, do, so I like to talk about ones in. that I really enjoy. Um, and just recently, I picked up Doom, mm. um, 2016 Doom, uh, made by id Software. 
Imagine um, if it was the original and you were just like, just discover this just game. Just discover this game, Doom, Doom. guys. Um, basically, it's a reimagining of the original, mm. uh, but it is so ingrained in that those original two games that it feels like you're back in back at home. Right. Um, and what it is is it's basically you wake up and they don't cut any bullshit. They just go, a demonic invasion is in progress. You've got to stop go. it. And it gives yeah. you nothing more. And there's a really nice moment at the beginning. I watched a documentary recently um, by a guy called Danny O'Dwyer. He does something called No Clip on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in this kind of stuff, watch it. Because he does a three-part documentary on Doom. And they talk about why they did it this way. And they said, basically, you're there to kill demons. Mm-hmm. You're not there to do anything else. You've picked up Doom because you want to kill demons. And it really is as simple as And they that. give. they say they give you a screen. And this screen starts explaining... Oh, this is what you need to do now, my good friend. And all he does is he punches it and throws it out of the way. Because that's not what you're there to do. You're not there to go, oh, let's find out what the social political you climate of demons. Mars is. Um, and it is the fastest game I think I have ever played. Mm. Um, it's it's balls to the wall. The soundtrack is just heavy metal. Yeah. Um, and what they do is, um, I know they won an award recently at the Game Awards for Best Soundtrack, and I can understand why now. Mm-hmm. Because... This game relies on it so much because you'll be playing it and the best way to do it is you turn off the lights, you crank up the volume and you'll be walking around and it'll be quiet, quiet, quiet. And as soon as you walk into a battle, it builds and it cranks up to this level that is insane. And I was playing... um, The one criticism I have is the levels are very long. Right. Very long. Um, And yes, there's checkpoints throughout and the way you can stop it is the Xbox keeps it there so as long as you don't go on any other game you can stay there right. but if you want to save it and know that you've definitely got your progress for next time you need to complete the level and I did two levels last night and it took me ages yeah. um, but um, the one great thing is I one of these levels I played I finished it and my heart was bumped I had to put the controller down pause it and sit and just have a couple of breaths because my heart was racing yeah. so much and it's a game that really gets you on edge it really and when you get it right you feel like a dancer right. in the weirdest possible way. When you get it right, you know that what you've done there is spot on. You feel like you're dancing. Mm. Uh, and it's an incredible achievement because they tried doing um, other dooms. And like I said, this documentary is really interesting. It's three parts. They're all about 20 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and they talk about how they always went down a Call of Duty route and things like that. Um, it's really interesting. That made me really want to play this more because I'd already picked it up. So I put it in. And it's exhilarating. And if you're into um, a fast-paced shooter, my God, I don't think there's any better game out there at this at this current time from this year. There's no better game than what this the game does. Cool. Um, and if you're a fan of the original Dooms, there's definitely little bits like when the doors open, you hear that mm. noise, like the original Doom there's door callbacks. opens. It's really nice. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely recommend picking it up. And it was only, I got it for like just over 10 quid the other day when it was Black Friday. Uh, so it's around that price still, I believe. So That's insane. you know, it's great, great, okay. great stuff. Cool. I've been playing Alien Isolation, guys. <laughs> it's the best game ever. Oh uh, no, I, I found a new game for you. We're gonna uh, see. We're gonna see whether we can record anything of it. But I don't know. I don't know how that's gonna work. Let's not make any promises. We no, we're not gonna make promises keep. we can't keep. But um, uh, so. It, I guess that's it for yeah, this week, isn't it? it? Yeah, so, a little, little like bit longer say, episode, but that's we're, basically we're not here. We're back on Sunday with our regular Sunday episode, ooh, ooh. but we've got no news and reviews next week, so don't be expecting that. But it's because we've basically got big plans for episodes. We've got big episodes coming up anyway, yeah. so um, we'll have our end-of-year review, we'll have a look ahead to 2017, all that stuff. 
So it's packed. Yeah, January, it's going to be fun. January is going to be a heavy podcast month. Uh, it's exciting. And we're, once again, as we're coming towards the end of the year, we want to just thank everyone who has listened throughout this year. Oh, yeah, definitely. For, for sticking with us. And, you know, thank you for sharing with your friends. And please do continue to do so. Please continue to rate subscribe you know and disagree us. with us yeah feel well, free to me. tell us that we're wrong and you can do that on the facebook page at dinosaur man nerdcast or on twitter at dinosaur man 15 um but no really thank you for letting us do this mm. uh you know thanks for giving somebody so, as long as somebody enjoys listening so to us, we'll continue shouting into the wind <laughs> as long as you to continue fair, listening We'll continue making, and that's that's the thing. It's what we enjoy doing, and we hope you all enjoy the listeners us. drop off next week. <laughs> we should not have said that. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank Johnny Neves for the theme song. You can find us on Stitcher and on iTunes and on Buzzsprout, where you can also rate, subscribe, comment, and share us and all that stuff. So, you know, keep on doing that. We do appreciate it. Uh, season's greetings to everyone, yeah, I guess. Yeah, Merry Christmas to everyone. Mm, wait, yeah. it's... Yeah, but this yeah, is this coming is out. Pretty, this is coming out pre-Christmas. This is fine. Um... Anyway, Andy, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Alex. You've been an absolute star. Thank you for putting up with me. Until next time. Don't have anything. Have a Merry Christmas. We've got one coming out on Christmas Day, I think. Have a Merry Christmas till you hear the one on Christmas Day. This feels less Christmassy now that I've realised this isn't the Christmas one. Bye. (laughs) Bye.